You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. We've been talking about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, We've been working our way through there. So if you want to just turn to Matthew 5, you can already turn there. Um, If you don't have a Bible, that's fine too. We have it on the screen behind me that we'll be looking at in just a moment. Um, If you're in need of a Bible, please let me know and we'll make sure that we can get you one. But already we've been talking about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It was his introductory message. It was the first time he addressed a large crowd of people talking about what it meant to be a follower of Jesus and about morality and about personal character. And Jesus does this by contrasting an Old Testament commandment with a a new principle that he brings forth. And so we've talked about, uh, Jesus talked about the Beatitudes, what it means to have a blessed life. And that it's not, the, ble- the definition of a blessed life is different in God's economy than it is when you're talking about the things that you go through in the world. We talked about, um, you know, Jesus being the fulfillment of the law and being better than the teachings of the Pharisees. We also talked, away, talked about um, anger and what to do with anger and, and how sometimes... Uh, you know, we can be angry, but we may not act on that anger, but Jesus kind of takes it a little step further and says that malice is just the same as murder because if you're thinking it in your mind and in your heart, it's the same thing and how we need to do away with anger. We talked about that last week and how anger does not produce righteousness in our hearts. In fact, it, is, it actively works against it. So Jesus preached on all these things and now we come to a passage of Scripture that may be a little more difficult for us to kind of work our way through because it's easy to preach about the things that we like. It's easy to talk about the things that we like. We love encouraging messages. We love inspirational messages. But sometimes Jesus gets down to the heart of the matter, and his whole thing with the Sermon on the Mount was to really get back to the heart and the spirit behind the commandments that God had given his people. This week, we're going to be talking about lust. Now, people can lust after many things. Lust isn't just simply one particular area. People can lust for power. They can desire to climb the corporate ladder or to be at the top of their company or to even aspire to political office or, or that it takes on such a life of its own to the degree that that person is just all they're concerned about is acquiring power and influence. Sometimes there's a lust for fame and recognition. People are looking to be famous. They post videos on social media with the hope of being TikTok famous or YouTube famous. If you ever want to be fascinated by how much a YouTuber makes, look it up sometimes. That sometimes people can make millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars just by being on YouTube and filming themselves doing ridiculous things. For people, it's all about chasing the number of followers, chasing the number of people to expand their platform. And you think to yourself how ridiculous that is, but it becomes a real driving force, a real hunger and desire after those things. Some people lust for wealth. How much is enough? A little bit more. Never enough for some people. They're chasing after success. They're chasing after wealth. It can easily consume a person's thoughts and their desires and their direction in life. 
But here, Jesus deals with the context of lust, with lust in the context of sexual sin. So let's take a look at that together. We're looking at Matthew 5, verses 27 through 30 in the New King James Version. It talks about having adultery in one's heart. Verse 27, he said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He goes on to say, If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it's more profitable that you... Uh, that one of your members perish, then for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members should perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, in case you were concerned or worried about this passage of Scripture, before you wonder otherwise, Jesus is not encouraging self-harm or mutilation as a means for getting into heaven. Instead, he's talking about removing the things that are chronically sinful from your life so it doesn't disqualify you, trip you up, or hinder you from getting to heaven. Now, the seventh commandment of the Ten Commandments that were given to Moses is do not commit adultery. In the Bible, adultery was defined as infidelity to your spouse. That's the definition that we're familiar with today. We understand that adultery is when you cheat on your spouse with someone else. We know that definition, but adultery in biblical uh, principles meant more than that. But it also talked about sex outside of marriage, outside of the sacred bonds of marriage. During biblical times when you, you didn't date people, that's just not how it was. Typically, your marriage was arranged in some way. There is no dating. There is no sleeping around or anything like that until you found someone to marry. Instead, it was expected and understood that you waited until your wedding day to consummate the marriage sexually. Now, obviously, our world's changed quite a bit since then. Biblical times, but, you know, when it comes to biblical times, there's something to be said for keeping your heart pure. Physical intimacy is one of the closest bonds that two human beings can share. The connection and closeness experienced in those moments can be indelibly marked on a person's memory. So much so to the degree that songs, smells, and places bring those memories flooding back to you. So when two people break up after sharing intimate moments like these, it makes the breakup all the more painful because of the bond that you shared with that person. So there is a reason why God wanted sexual intimacy reserved for marriage alone. Now, please understand, you might be embarrassed like this is your dad taking you on that trip to talk about the thing, right? Mom or dad's going to sit you down and talk about the birds and the beasts. So don't be uncomfortable about that. That's not where this conversation's going. But one thing I learned long ago, and I used to, as a youth pastor, say, you know, that's not my job to talk about this. Let their parents talk about this. And then I had, a, you know, one of the young ladies in our, in our youth group get pregnant by one of the other members of the youth group. And you recognize that you can't just leave it up to someone else to tell and talk about these sorts of things. 
or why we need to wait or why we need to spend time with our hearts being pure. So we have to understand that these things are part of our walk with Christ that we need to have a, a, a biblical perspective on them. We also should note that blatant sexuality has become part of our daily culture. And it's a big problem. Psychology Today reports in a survey done among men and women that 78% of women and 82% of men reported viewing pornography within the last six months, with men using it more frequently on a daily basis than women. But the number of women is rising, which is a bit surprising. Porn has become normalized in the world that we live in, even though it's been traced to things like human trafficking, objectifying the opposite sex, crossing the lines of consent in dating relationships, ruining countless marriages, to even changing your brain chemistry and how you experience pleasure. This is according to the anti-porn addiction website, Fight the New Drug. The statistics for the abuse of children are equally staggering. A government study determined that one in four girls and one in 13 boys are sexually abused as children. 91% of them are typically abused by somebody they know, either a family member or a friend of the family. That's a staggering number when you think about it. When we say that it's not a problem, we're denying what we're seeing in the culture today. Sex is literally used for everything from advertising for clothing to perfumes to cars or even food. If the approach did not work, advertisers would have stopped using it a long time ago. So you're constantly bombarded by it, especially if you're watching television after 10 o'clock at night. You will find something on there. There will be some kind of commercial that will certainly bring this to your attention in some way or form. Playing to our base desires playing to a person's loneliness and exploiting that for gain and financial gain. Whether we understand it or not, sexuality is in our culture. Sexuality was once something that people maintained in privacy. Now it's become synonymous with one's identity. People now identify themselves by who they are attracted to and what they do in the privacy of their own bedroom. So it's fitting that Jesus challenges us by speaking about our thoughts and our intentions. The things that we think about that no one else knows. He deals with how people look at other people and what they think about them when they do. Let's take a look at verse 28 one more time. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now it should be noted that he mentions men here, but women, you're not off the hook either, okay? Just because Jesus says men, he doesn't say, okay, well, women can just do whatever they want. That's not what that means, okay? The understanding here is that typically men tend to, to view things that way, but women can be equally guilty of it as well. To look is one thing. To lust is something entirely different. Now, God created us. God created us to be attracted for men to be attracted to women and women to be attracted to men. To see someone and notice that they are attractive is not sinful. You can know someone that's good looking saying, you know, God really blessed them with good complexion, a great jawline. 
and, you know, really, you know, translucent eyes. And you say, man, that person, God really did a good job with that person. It's okay to recognize that. But to dwell on how attractive they are, when you stare, leer, and gawk at an attractive person, that's when it crosses the line. Things like commenting on a person's appearance or their attributes or what you would like to do to them, which tends to be common among men. But there have been times I've been sitting in restaurants and I've heard women talking about their last date and been surprised at the conversations that I overhear at the table next to me. It's just that men are more stupid about it than women are. They just tell anybody about it. Women will talk about it with their close friends in their private conversations. To the first look when it comes to noticing someone is not the problem, depending on how long you choose to look at that person. Well, I'm only looking once because pastor said to look once. Staring at them is not okay, all right? The first look's not the problem. It's the second or third look that gets you into trouble. Now, talking about our thought life, Jesus deals with what we think about. He tells the crowd, if a man looks on a woman with lust in her heart, in other words, he's already thought about sexual thoughts about a woman, it's the same as committing the act of adultery. So anytime a person looks at another person and thinks suggestive or sexual thoughts about them, it's a, the same thing as committing the act as far as Jesus says. Well, he says this because our thoughts lead to our actions. When we get comfortable enough with our thought life to the degree that we allow thoughts in that are not godly, that are not pure, it's not too far a jump to go from thought to action. With this understanding, even if a person views pornography, it's the same thing. It's committing adultery. Now, that might seem like a very big difference between one and the other, but when you understand how temptation gives way to sin, it's not that big a leap. Now, let's talk about the progression of sin. Now, if you're in the New Believers class or the Next Steps class, you might have heard Stephanie refer to this. This is something that, you know, I refer to as well. The progression of sin starts in your head. Every temptation starts with an invitation to think about something. If, if you did not have an active thought life, if you were flatlined somewhere, if you, if you were brain dead, you would not be tempted. But because you have a, a brain in your head, because you can think, because you can comprehend, because you notice things, anytime uh, there is a temptation, it first begins as a thought, as a seed that tries to take root in the soil of your mind. So every sin begins with a thought. To win the battle against temptation, you must first win it in your mind. You've got to stop it in its tracks. Uh, there's a book written a few years ago, The Battlefield for the Mind, understanding that most of our battles against temptation and sin and bondage, and uh, even when it comes to anger or malice, it all begins with a thought. And if you can stop that thought in its tracks... If you can realign yourself with what the Word says, if you can catch yourself with your conscience and the Holy Spirit's conviction, you can stop that progression before it goes any further. It starts with your head, and then it travels to your heart. When you start thinking about something, that's when your desires, your hormones, and your emotions get involved. 
You begin to think about that thing. You begin to want that thing. That lust can be for uh, sexual sin, but it can also be for power. It also can be for, for wealth or other things. When that kind of desire takes root, our emotions get involved. Our heart begins to get involved in the decision-making process. And if you know anything about the way that we're wired as people, once your heart gets involved, it's all downhill from there, right? Once your emotions get involved, it's all downhill from there. That's why it's dangerous when people say, well, just follow your heart. But how many know that the heart can be deceptfully wicked at times? Doesn't the Scripture tell us that? That sometimes out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and sometimes within our heart is not always good. So we must guard our what? Heart. How do you guard your heart? You, be, you are transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind and the way that you think. So once it travels to your heart, you get very invested in the moment. You begin to think about what you want to do or what you're going to do. And once you've done that, it's not too far behind when your hands get involved. Your desires and emotions... Uh, lead you to you doing something that you thought that you would never do or that something you thought about and now you find yourself doing it. And you, you ask yourself, how did I get here? It, you got there because you allowed a seed, a thought, a temptation to take root in your mind. You started to think about it and let it get into your heart. And once your heart was involved, then off you went. And you felt like there was an uncontrollable urge to do something. Why? Because you didn't stop it when it came in. You didn't slam the door on temptation. When we, we act with our hands, we carry out the things that we thought about and the things that we emotionally got involved with. James 1, 13 through 15 says this, Let no one says when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own, what? Desires and is enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. There is a progression. In other words, it can't be a temptation if you don't first have the desire within you. Now listen, we have been created by God with particular desires that at their root are actually very good. God has created us, male and female, to be attracted to one another so that we may uh, be united in marriage and for the purpose of family and procreation for the earth. That's what God created us for. God created us to desire and to have purpose and to have uh, desires to pursue greater things. God created us to lead and to be over certain things. Now, those are natural good desires to have, but what the enemy will do is he'll take it and he'll twist it. And say, don't you want to go about it this way? I know that you're married and you might be happily married, but you haven't really been happy, have you? Don't you want something else? Don't you want something different or something more? When it comes to temptations in other ways, it's like, you want to get ahead, don't you? So just bend the rules. You go to church on Sunday, but this is business. Do what you need to do in order to be successful. And who cares who you step on on the way up? There are things that are good desires that the devil exploits, and he takes that desire and twists it. 
We also have a sin nature, a nature that wants to do what it wants to do, never mind what God says. It doesn't care. All it cares about is, is, is its desires and its hunger. But the, the progression of sin goes from tem- desires to temptation to sin, and sin leads to spiritual death. What Jesus is encouraging us to do is to win the battle in your thought life and to find victory. Jesus is encouraging us to watch and be mindful of our thoughts. The battle doesn't end with what you think about, but rather what you take in. What you watch and listen to affects you. Uh, let me give you some examples. Do you ever watch the news and get mad? I know that's never happened to you, but if you've ever watched the news and got mad, what you see and what you hear triggers you to an emotional response and a reaction. Ever watch a movie or comedy show with foul language and then later on find that a word or two from that slips into your dialogue? Why? Because you took in something that normalized a a, a phrase or a language that you heard and it became part of your vocabulary. Have you ever tried to lose weight or fast And it seems like every commercial on the television is about food. You know what I'm talking about? I remember trying to fast for a week. And I'm sitting down and I'm watching the baseball game. And I never noticed how many commercials there were for food. You know why? Because I wasn't hungry at the time. But when you're dieting or when you're fasting, there's a desire there. There's a hunger there. And I counted like seven or eight commercials for food during the commercial break having to do with like a bacon cheeseburger from Sonic. And of course, they've got a show with the cheese dripping and the grease coming off of it and the shiny bun. And you're like, oh my goodness, I want that right now. (laughs) We react to what we take in. What we take in as entertainment affects us, whether it's shows or movies depicting sex or violence or foul language. We need to remember that what we see goes in and affects our thoughts and comes out in our actions. With the invention of cell phones and mobile apps, children and youth are exposed to so much more than the previous generation ever had been exposed to. With children seeing violence and and pornography and sexual activity as early as fifth grade. Exposing a child to these things before they reach adolescence can deeply affect a child's development. That's why you must be careful about what we view and what we allow our children to view. Jesus reiterates this in Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verses 22 and 23. Now, in Matthew 6, Jesus talks about the context of of, of pursuing wealth and people's desires for wealth and, and serving God and money and those sorts of things. But this principle holds true here as well, that our eyes are the lamp of the body. In verse 22, Jesus says, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light inside you is darkness... How great is that darkness? What you let in either lightens you or darkens you. How does it darken you? It darkens your thoughts, your perspective, 
your dreams, your, your uh, ideas about certain things. Your eyes and ears are the doors to your understanding and your soul. What you allow to come in sometimes may never come out. If you've ever seen something traumatic, you may never forget that traumatic experience. Why? Because it comes in and it becomes part of your memory and becomes indelibly marked on you. So everything that we see and hear can sometimes stay there for long periods of time. So therefore, guard what you see and hear carefully. What you take in comes out somewhere else. Be more discerning about what you watch, listen to, and are influenced by. This may mean that you have to be more discerning about what you let into your life, and maybe you need to take some active steps to remove some things that aren't pleasing to God. Choose to put up guardrails on the road of your life. When we were driving through New Hampshire on vacation, we noticed that there are certain parts that are a little higher up because you are in the White Mountains. And they put guardrails there so that you, if you aren't paying attention, that you don't casually just kind of drive off the road and end up down on a mountainside or in a canyon somewhere. Those guardrails are there because they realize that people sometimes don't pay attention or they drive too fast or they're not being mindful of things. So guardrails are there because they know that people can sometimes be stupid. We need to put guardrails in our minds and hearts because sometimes we're stupid. Let's just be honest. There's sometimes there's things that we do things that we shouldn't do. We sit down, we watch things we shouldn't watch. We listen to things that we shouldn't listen to. Why? Because we're relaxed, we're casual, we're not paying attention, we're not being careful, and we need to put up guardrails in our life. The scriptures tell us that how can a young man keep his way pure by living according to his word? Not just reading the word. Sometimes when we go through temptation, we just kind of go, oh, we pray and we pray and we read the word. But your, your emotions are already involved, and so you're already in it. You know what you need to do right there? You know, you need to live according to the word. You need to call somebody to talk to them about talking you off the ledge of temptation. If you struggle with temptation and you've tried to pray it away and you've tried to read the word to get it away, you're already invested in it. You understand what I'm saying? So you need someone to say, you know what, I, I'm really struggling right now. I need you to just tell me not to do this. That's what accountability is. Because you know that you've already gotten to the point of no returning yourself. So sometimes you need a brother or sister in Christ that can help you back away from those things that you struggle with and fall into. It's important that you do that with someone who keeps confidences and that is, can actually help you. Scriptures talk about keeping our eyes from any unclean thing. It talks about fleeing from the temptations of youth. Sometimes when it comes to temptation, we just sit right where we are. We sit in the parking lot of places we shouldn't be. We drive by the homes, of, uh, the places that we used to go to, and we, we feel the draw to go in there. How about this? How about you just go a different way home? How about this? You just pull out of the parking lot. How about you lose his or her number instead of being tempted by it? How about we take the steps that we need to do in order to know that we can't uh, fall into those same traps that we used to? It's not enough to just simply say, well, I hope it goes away. Sometimes you've got to win the battle by removing yourself from the battlefield. Now, here are some steps you can take, okay? Number one, don't give it a second look or thought. 
okay? You see something, you're tempted by it, like, nope, I'm not going that route. You've won the battle. You haven't sinned when temptations come your way and you've resisted it. You've actually achieved victory. Glory be to God. You know what happens? It gets easier when you start getting to a habit of saying no to those things, okay? Secondly, watch what you take in through your eyes and ears. Thirdly, avoid the people and places that lead you into temptation. Sometimes we have to recognize that there are when you got saved, there was a group of friends that you used to hang out with, and they do things that you don't do anymore. They go places that you don't go anymore. So when you're going out with them, it seems awkward for you, and it seems awkward for them. But you know what happens sometimes when you're with friends? They're like, oh, come on, just come with us and do this. Or you used to be so much more relaxed and so much more chill. Why don't you just come with us and do this. It's just one drink. It's just one night out. It's just one hit from this. And they say, just go ahead and do that. Well, what you're doing is you're putting yourself in the situation where you're going to be tempted and you will probably fall. Because why? We, we want to be liked. Believe it or not, even in your 40s, 50s, and 60s, you want to be liked. You do. We don't have peer pressure anymore. We're like, well, I don't have peer pressure because I'm not in school anymore. We want to be liked, and so sometimes we won't always speak up for ourselves when we're put in a situation that we are uncomfortable with. Sometimes we need to remove ourselves from the battlefield of temptation. When it comes to that way, sometimes when you're dating someone, the, it's difficult to resist one another. And the Apostle Paul even goes so far to say, listen, if you can't control your passions get married and get it over with because it's better to be married than to burn with desire for each other. I'll just leave that right there. Number four, take note of the times when you fall into sin, when you're tempted most. Sometimes we get frustrated with stuff. Why do I keep doing these things over and over again? Well, have you ever thought about taking note of when you do them? Do you do them when you're stressed? Is that thing a stress reliever for you? Do you do it when you're tired and your defenses are down? Do you do it at times uh, when you feel overwhelmed? Take note of when these things happen and then prepare yourself mentally to avoid those things. When you actually start to take uh, inventory of these things, you'll actually recognize that, you know what? I find myself falling into these things when this happened. So my vice in life is not a terrible one, but I'm a stress eater. I know I don't look like it, but I'm a stress eater, and when I eat, I eat like awful things. Not like terrible, awful things, but things that you can get at the gasoline convenience store, okay? You know, drinking a two-liter, you know, drinking a 20-ounce Coca-Cola, having a candy bar, having a package of Peachios, and maybe a couple of Hostess cakes on the way home, my wife would usually look at the bank account and she goes, you've been to the gas station a lot this week. You must be really stressed out. And that's my thing. And you, recognizing when these things happen, you're like, when I'm stressed, I stress eat. Maybe you do the same thing. It's kind of the acceptable vice in the world today, especially among Christians. But what, we're, what I'm doing in those moments is I'm giving in to finding relief through uh, things that 
aren't really healthy and good for me. And you have to recognize, too, that the things that you give in to are not always healthy or good for you. And so you must resist those things. Take note and take inventory of that. Number five, change your routine. Start the day with the word and prayer. You'll be surprised how much stronger you'll feel when you start the day off that way. I absolutely, the, the difference between the days that I do and the days that I don't are night and day. So if you start the day off with honoring God first, you'll be surprised that like the temptation will come up and you're like, no, no, I'm walking with him today. And so start that day out. Change your routine. If you know at certain times of the day that you kind of give in to temptation, if you're up too late, for example, and you find that temptation kind of creeping in, go to bed earlier. Stop staying up so late when your, your uh, willpower is weakened and your ability to resist is not there. Number six, consider the consequences. This is something we don't often give much thought to, but this is something that should keep you on the straight and narrow path. Remember that show, I think it was on A&E, it's called Scared Straight. You know, it was a show, it has different meanings today, obviously. Uh, not the, what the way you're thinking about, okay? But they used to have a show where, like, they would bring in troubled youth from the neighborhoods that were involved in, in crime and activity and were in juvenile hall. And they'd bring them into the pr- prison systems, and they'd have them talk with the inmates, and the inmates would scare them into, uh, scare them into being, keeping the straight and narrow. And sometimes we need to know and need to understand what the consequences are for our actions. Think about what you could lose. You could lose your marriage. You could lose your family. You could lose your job. Jesus even says if you don't deal with this and cut this out of your life, you could even lose your salvation. We don't like fear. We don't like thinking about negative, but sometimes fear can be a powerful motivator when you don't have the willpower yourself. Listen, if you are stealing from work and you realize you could get caught and you could lose your job and go to jail, maybe that will motivate you not to steal from work. If you recognize that, you know what? I love my wife and I love my kids and I love the life that I have. If I entertain this idea or if I cheat on this person, I could lose everything, then you recognize, you know, if you don't have the willpower yourself, the consequences will certainly motivate you. Scare the daylights out of you, or at least it should, and it might make you go, oh, wait a minute, I am not going to do that, not by a long shot. Choose to recognize the guardrails. I also want to note the difference between temptation and addiction. Temptation is something you can say no to. Addiction means you become chemically dependent upon that thing. Everything. Whether it could be alcohol or drugs or even pornography, they've even linked that to changing your brain chemistry as well. A person can actually go through physical withdrawals from that. So you have to understand, too, that like, when you're talking about the difference between temptation and addiction, when you have an addiction, you can't say no to it because you have a dependency on that. There's a physical dependency. How can you tell? When you no longer struggle with temptation, you just do it. It has become habit and routine, and rather than a struggle with it, you just automatically do it. It becomes part of your daily life. Recognize you need help in those times. When you do, develop accountability with someone who can help you. Ecclesiastes 4 says this, Two are better than one. When one falls down, the other can pick them up, but woe to the person who falls and has no one to pick them up. 
Accountability is helpful. Secondly, take, actively take the steps that have been given to you. If your counselor, if your accountability partner said, hey, don't do these things, and you go, ah, you know, whatever, I'm just going to do them, you are not taking the active steps that you need to, the hard steps that you need to to find recovery. Let's take a look at Matthew 5 again as I wrap this up. You still with me? You still thinking about the bacon burger I talked about earlier in my message, aren't you? Probably. Well, hopefully you're still with me. Let's look at verses 29 and 30 again of Matthew 5. Jesus said, If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it's more profitable that you that one of your members perished and your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it for you, from you, for it's more profitable for one of your members to perish than your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, I mentioned this earlier. We, we understand Jesus is not talking about doing physical harm to yourself. What he is saying is to remove the parts that are darkened and the habits and the attitudes and the, the perspective that has become darkened and that prevent you from getting closer to the Lord. How do we cut out the parts that need to come out? How do we remove the darkness that's inside? Well, here are some steps for that. If we can go to the next slide. By asking God. By asking God. You're like, can it be that simple? Yes, it is that simple because sometimes we need to ask God and we need to understand what we need to do. Sometimes we're saying, God, take away the temptation and that's not what we should be asking for, okay? Because temptation's a part of life. It really is. We can ask the Lord not to lead us into temptation, but sometimes you'll come across temptation. Why? Because you're a human, and you have very natural human desires that can be exploited by the devil and cause you to sin. So the first thing you must ask for is God's forgiveness. We have to acknowledge that we have a problem and ask him, for forgiveness, for the things that we've seen, taken in, thought about, and done. So if you've exposed yourself your entire life to certain influences, they are affecting the way that you think and your perspective. So you have to ask God to heal what has been broken in your mind and your thought life so you can move forward in a healthy way. Some of us never ask for forgiveness from God for the things that we've done while we're asking Him to help us to resist the, the urge and the temptation to do it again. Sometimes our minds play back the things that we used to do and the things that we used to say, and that's where our desires come in. Ask God for forgiveness and say, God, remove from my memory the things that I did in my past. Remove from my understanding the things that I did in the foolishness of my youth, or even the foolishness of last week. Because once we've given in to something, we say, well, I might want that again, or we might want that desire again, and we need to give that one more time to God and say, I'm giving that to you. Pray for forgiveness. Ask Him for it. Secondly, ask for God's transformation. Remember that as a Christian, you are a new creation in Christ. 1 Corinthians 5, 17 says that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So reminding yourself about that, I am a new creation. What I used to do was part of my past. Now I choose to live for a different purpose. I choose to live for God. Would this please him? That we, like Joseph, 
in the book of Genesis when Potiphar's wife tried to get him to uh, shame his master by having him sleep with his master's wife. When she tempts him and throws herself at him, uh, Joseph doesn't say, well, how can I do this to Potiphar? How can I do this to my master? He says, how could I do this to the Lord? So our perspective should be like, you know, not just solely like, well, I, I shouldn't do this because it's wrong. It's like, I, I don't want to do this because I don't want to grieve God. I don't want to grieve His Spirit. I don't want to put anything in the way of the relationship that I have with Him. Transformation takes place when we realize we're a new creation in Christ. Transformation takes place where we do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2. What does that indicate? In other words, that you had a way of thinking that was part of a worldly system of thinking. You had a way of thinking that maybe you were raised in that was wrong. You had a system of thinking that you maybe indulged in because you were on your own and you lived however you wanted to, and so you kind of did what you wanted when you wanted. When you got saved, we're not to be thinking with the same mindset anymore, but rather we need God to give us a new mindset to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. The Scriptures tell us that we need to be washed with the water of the Word. And allow the Spirit of God to renew our minds so that we stop thinking about things the way we used to think about them. But now we start thinking about things from a godly and biblical perspective. So ask God for transformation. That He would change who you are and to be more like Jesus. Thirdly, ask for God's strength. Temptation is normal. It's normal. But there is a way of escape. God will make a way out. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, and 13 says this. It says, Therefore, let him uh, who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Our spirit may be willing but our flesh is weak. In Romans 7, the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, talks about that the things that I want to do, I don't do. And those things that I shouldn't be doing, those are the things that I find myself doing. So our spirit is willing to follow God, but our flesh is still prone to the weakness and the trip-ups and the sins and temptations that are common to every person. But God, by His Holy Spirit, can give us the strength to say no to temptation. One of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is self-control. It's the ability to maturely and confidently say no to the things that our selfish passions want. So when we go to God and we're trying to do it in our own strength, we are ultimately going to fail. But the Scriptures tell us that, like, just because you give in doesn't mean that you're tempted more strongly than somebody else's. But all temptation is common to man. And that you are able to resist it. It's just that sometimes we choose not to resist it. So we understand that we have the ability to resist temptation. We have the ability to say no to temptation. But we don't always do it because we don't have a strong enough will or our spirit's not strong enough. We need to ask God's spirit to strengthen us 
to be able to say no and to resist temptation and to flee from it. We need to flee temptation. You know, when we read the words of Jesus, they are very convicting. Because he doesn't just deal with a command. He deals with the heart. Most people understood, hey, you know, I'm not committing adultery. That's easy. You know, I'm, I'm not going to do that. But Jesus deals with the thought life and our emotions and what we think about and what we deal with. And when we get closer to Jesus, it's like getting closer to a very bright light. When we draw near to him, when, I don't know about you, but like, you know, sometimes if you're in a spotlight, you might notice things that you wouldn't notice before. Like that stain from the spaghetti sauce from the chicken parmesan grinder that you had the day before, and you realize that that's still there. Or lint, or dog hair, or whatever the case might be. And you might think something's clean, and then you get in like those harsh fluorescent lights or that harsh spotlight, and you realize that there's something else there. When you get closer to Jesus, he is light and life. And as we get closer to him, when we see his purity, when we see his holiness, one of the things that you'll notice about yourself is your shortcomings, your flaws, your sins, your, the things that you are not proud of. And when we do that, it shouldn't cause us to go, well, I'm not fitting enough to be near God. You see, when we get closer to him and we start to see all the things that are wrong with us, most people go, this is too close. I'm exposed. I can, I can be seen now. And they'll run the other direction because it's just easier to not deal with it than to be confronted with it. The Word and the Spirit will always confront us about the things that need to be changed and the things that need to be transformed in our life. But our desire, our, 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 our shame and our guilt should not be so powerful or our, our comfort level should not be so strong that we say, I don't want to get close to you, Jesus, because I don't want you to see the way I am. It's only getting closer to him that we can find the cleansing we need, find the freedom we need, and to be set free from the things that so easily beset us. This morning, I want to encourage you to let the Spirit of God speak to you. If there's something that you need to confess to him or ask his help with, I encourage you to do that this morning and leave it at the altar and to let it go. Allow God to be the one that cuts out the parts of your life that are full of darkness so that you can walk in his holy light. Do you believe that today? Let's just close our eyes for just a moment and just think on this thought this morning. Jesus, we look to you today. God, forgive us for the times that we stayed away because we are confronted with the things that are not right in our life. Lord, there's times where we've been tempted and we've given in to temptation, maybe even yesterday, maybe even on the way into church today. Lord, this morning, we ask, forgive us. Cleanse us. Restore us, Lord God, to where we need to be. God, we, we ask for your transformation to be at work within us. Holy Spirit, would you transform us and renew our minds with the word of God so that our thoughts and our intentions and the things that we've 
thought about this week, Lord, would not become part of the way that we think about others and the way we think about life. But Lord, we pray, help us to see you in all this. Transform our thinking. Purify our hearts. Help us to become more like you. Lord, I just pray today that you would give us the strength, Lord God. The strength to say no to temptation. Holy Spirit, sometimes our will is not strong enough to say no. But Lord, I pray today for those who are struggling that you would give them the strength to say no to temptation. Lord, provide that way out, that way of escape for when they need it, Lord God. And that, Lord, they would not give in to the sin that so easily trips them up, but they would run the race with perseverance and be what you want them to be. Work in hearts this morning. Change lives. Convict us and help us to to come to you, Lord God, recognizing we need you. And we need you to change us and transform us. We ask this, Lord, in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.